This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Mike Yuseem, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Welcome to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Anne Greenhall, your host, and tonight I am here with my dear colleague and co-host, Jeff Klein. And Mike, you see him is off. We don't know where he is, do we? No. I'll put him somewhere over an ocean. <laughs> over an ocean. Yeah, hopefully in a plane. <laughs> in a plane. Yeah. In a plane. He's but, usually but, in a plane when he's over the ocean. And returning soon. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And Jeff, we have a wonderful opportunity tonight to actually have our guest in studio. And that does not always happen. That is a treat. So a real treat tonight to have opportunity to speak with Amity Milheiser. Amity is Vice Chair and Chief Clients Officer at PwC, a global firm that offers professional services including audit and assurance, tax planning, and consulting. Amity, welcome to the show. Thank you both very much for having me here today. It's really a pleasure. So we'd like to, of course, find out a little bit about you and your work and PwC. So maybe let me just start and ask you, Chief Client Officer, can you tell us what does a Chief Client Officer do? Yes, I like to say I have one of the best jobs in the firm. So a couple different things. First is I lead all of our industries. So we have folks that are specialized in industries, technology, financial services, consumer markets, as well as I lead all our geographies. So we have about 100 offices across the country, and I lead those across the U.S., across our three businesses, as you mentioned, assurance, tax, and consulting. Um, The most fabulous part of my job, however, is that I get to spend my time meeting with um, our clients all over the country and all over Mm -hmm. the world. And so every week I'm on a plane to a different place in the country or in the world talking to our clients. Oh, boy. All right. Now, Amity, sometimes we ask our guests this question. When you were young, maybe 10, 11, 12, did you imagine that you would be the chief client officer for PwC? That is such a funny question. So I'm going to date myself on this one. But when I was that age, I probably wanted to be a professional babysitter or join the Ice Capades, which (laughs) tells you something about where my skills don't lie. But, But also, to be honest, it was a different world in terms of where... Young girls saw their role models in terms of the things you would do when you when you were older. All right. So just let's follow that lead for just a moment. So babysitter, because you like children or you had younger children in the family, what? where did that come from? Because that's what I had seen as a young girl. I okay. had seen what, – what had I seen women do, do. in my young lifetime? Okay. I had babysitters and I could be a babysitter by the time I was 11 <laughs> and 12. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably an, an aspiration for me to actually earn money babysitting. Um, and ice capades sort of dreaming that someday my ice skating skills would leave me there, which it certainly did not. I can tell you <laughs> okay. that much. So did you grow up someplace that had ice I actually grew up in the Bay Area. In the Bay Area. I actually grew up in the Bay Area. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So no, nowhere that had nowhere ice. Nowhere that had, nowhere that had, had ice. ice. Okay. So I'm just curious then, uh, what was your first step towards your career? Yeah. So it's it's funny. I uh, Really, I, I graduated from uh, undergraduate in a recession. So when I, when I hear college graduates, you know, people give people advice, find your passion, I think – 
I was <laughs> find a, a job. I was, right. I was an English literature major. <laughs> oh, right. Great. Um, which Dear I, to my heart. <laughs> there, which I loved and graduating in the middle of a recession. So for me, it was less about finding my passion than, you know, than actually being gamefully employed and being able to support myself. Yeah, finding your rent. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but there were two things I looked for. And it's funny because I still look for the same two things today. Um, one is an organization where I would really um, – get exposed to a lot and have a lot of different opportunities. Because I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself at that point, I wanted to make sure that I could see a lot of different roles and decide what I wanted to do. And that's still true today. I think that more important than looking for your passion is looking for an organization where mm. you're going to be able to discover your passion. I always say that in PwC, if you don't like the role you're in, there are 50,000 others that you might like. And so – being in an organization that gives you that kind of choice has been fantastic for me to to change my career a lot over the years to things I never would have dreamed of and that frankly didn't exist. And then the second thing is I I wanted to gain a lot of exposure to really smart people across mm. very different industries. And again, I still get that today. I get on the plane every week and and go and meet clients in completely different industries, completely parts of the world. And I love that part of what I do. Oh, that's so great. And uh, Jeff, you'll remember we had, was it Ram Sharan on the show a while ago with Mike Yuseem? They'd co-written mm-hmm. a book together. And one of the pieces of advice that Ram gave to our listeners was to think hard about the organization that you choose. And I'm hearing that in your response because a top-notch organization can give you a range of opportunities, whether or not you're in the job you really like or the role you really like, and can ideally also introduce, introduce you to a whole lot of really smart and interesting and interesting people. So I'll just ask one more question, then let Jeff get a word in edgewise. So your first job then out of undergrad as an English major was with what company? I started with PwC, if you can Fabulous. believe it. I okay. did. I was the very unlikely English literature major who started with an accounting firm, um, went on to get my CPA, and then uh, in my sort of early in my career decided I really enjoyed working in the world of M&A. So I, so I moved to Switzerland. I guess the first thing I did, and one of the reasons I went to I joined PwC is I knew I wanted to live abroad. And at that time, and we still do have a fantastic international exchange program, so um, five years in, I went and lived in Switzerland, where I went for three years and stayed for 17. So it was obviously yeah. a fantastic experience. Um, went on to lead our M&A team um, in Switzerland, became interested in leverage buyouts and transaction services. And then about 10 years ago, moved back to the Bay Area and eventually went on to lead our technology practice in Silicon Valley. So lots of different turns, but for sure, starting as a right. liberal arts major in an accounting firm was unusual even in those days. Right. Very good. So for all our listeners, there is hope for us all. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Jeff, let me get your voice in here. <laughs> well, thanks, Anne. And thanks, Amity, for being on the show with us uh, tonight. This is a nice opportunity. And I want to stay with this notion of a chief clients officer and, um, you know, understanding, uh, you know, your academic background and then the, the, the roles that you've played throughout your career at PwC. I mean, it, it seems like and this comes from a radio host, so I guess I, sh- I should <laughs> qualify this. But it, it seems like quite a unique opportunity uh, to really have a, a big part of your role defined as listening to and understanding clients. Um, and, and I wonder how 
How easy, how difficult was it to develop that kind of a relationship? Um, and what tips do you have for, for our listeners who might be interested in developing relationships and, and trust quickly with clients? That's, that's actually a great question. First, I would start by saying the role didn't exist until I came into it. So I'm very fortunate to be uh-huh. in an organization where I said, whatever I do, what right. really inspires me is talking to clients. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to be on our leadership team, I want to make sure that I continue to use a lot of my time to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I was lucky enough to be in an organization that was willing to try a role like this. Right, right. That I think is, so that's my first advice is make sure you're mm. in an organization that's going to recognize your skills and be willing to challenge you as a leader in those mm-hmm. areas. So that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, 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 the thing I love about being with clients is you realize, especially in this current environment, regardless of the industry, companies are facing so many of the same issues, mm-hmm. predominantly around things like technology, around yeah. things like their workforce and people. And you, you, you start to realize that there are a lot of common themes and that, that part of the value that someone like me can bring to companies is you can take the themes from one industry to another so mm-hmm. that you can sort of cross-pollinate the, mm-hmm. the lessons learned. And that's been great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this concept of being a better listener to your consumer is huge. And I think we all as individuals experience it every day. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, we feel more empowered as consumers than we ever have before. There's no question (laughs) that technology has allowed us to get direct access to products and services like never before. But it almost increases our frustration when we don't feel like someone's listening to our feedback. Yeah. Right. It used to be that you had no way to provide the feedback so you didn't expect a response. Now, between social media and everything else, you feel like you should get a response all the time. So to me, it's more important than ever to be asking your consumer for feedback in every way, mm-hmm. whether it's digitally, whether it's in person, and then responding. Anyone who's giving you feedback is actually engaged in how you perform. That's true mm-hmm. with yeah. career coaches and that's mm-hmm. true with customers. And to recognize that the fact that someone's willing to spend the time giving you feedback means they actually want yeah. you to have the opportunity <laughs> to get better – But you have to really listen Mm -hmm. um, rather than talk and you have to really like almost over-index on the response because whatever they're telling you, it's usually worse than you perceive, Mm. (laughs) right? So so you you really have to think about what would be the the response that would be a wow factor and go from there. Hmm. And yeah, I I love your point that um, many – and we hear this all the time on the show – many organizational leaders are are facing similar challenges and and you because of this unique role – um, have the ability to to connect dots. I, I'd ask for the for your clients and and for the leaders that that you're interacting with. Do they feel like they're part of a you know a, a fabric of workforce challenges or technology challenges, or do they often feel isolated, like the problems are more local? No, it's it's interesting. I think more and more what what we hear from companies is they feel like the issues for their businesses are very common across the industries, mm. more so than is true in the past. Okay. So, and it's interesting. We do every every year we release in at the World Economic Forum in Davos mm-hmm. a CEO mm-hmm. survey, right? And the messages were are, have been very clear over the last couple of years around. Digital disruption being a key theme for every single industry, whether you're financial services, consumer markets, healthcare, and that there's much more they can learn from one another. And then just the challenges of having the right talent. So given Mm -hmm. the digital 
the digital piece of our businesses, having the right talent with those um, technology-driven skills to be able to drive growth. And those are those are two really consistent themes that come out. The, the third is the importance, and you mentioned it earlier, of of a company's sense of purpose mm-hmm. and and that in particular with the workforce, you know, people and, – and you see it on this campus, people wanting to go work for organizations where mm-hmm. they're really aligned with their purpose and their values and what the, what they stand for. Yeah. yeah it's, I, I'll always remember um, a, a conversation with Neil Blumenthal who's the co-CEO of Warby Parker um, and he had come back to campus about five years after launching War, Warby Parker and there was uh, a big social component to the mission of that organization and they were going to donate a pair of glasses um, for every pair of glasses that they sold and I said, All right, well, so Neil, what have you learned? And he said, "Is do you attract customers? Uh, and he said, you know, we attract customers because we're an incredibly stylish eyeglass company and because of the ways that we're interacting with consumers. Um, but we're able to recruit the best talent because of our social mission. Right. Mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. and because that that aspect of our values as an organization is really appealing to the kinds of workers that we're looking for right now. And so it was almost like his original hypothesis had been flipped on its head a little bit. He still found value in it, but it was in the unexpected place. And I think I think that's a, an important thing to look for when you're interviewing is not just what a company says, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but really signs of do they stand for that? I, yeah. mean, mm-hmm. I mean, is there a leadership team? So, for example, we – We've been very supportive and sort of one of the beginners of something called CEO Action, which is um, Mm -hmm. over 500 CEOs across the U.S. Mm -hmm. signing a pledge to take three specific actions around driving diversity and inclusion in their organizations. Mm -hmm. With the idea being that you create a groundswell of of really positive actions across the largest workforces in America. To me, you have to look for things like that. You Mm -hmm. have to look for things like representation on the leadership team of diversity. Mm And – I, I think that's really something to keep in mind, but also hard to do when you're interviewing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. I'm going to jump in here just for a second to remind our listeners that you are listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio powered by the Wharton School, Channel 132. I'm Ann Greenhall. I'm with Jeff Klein. And tonight we have the real pleasure of speaking with Amity Milheiser, and she is the Vice Chair and Chief Clients Officer at PwC. So, Amity, let's pick up uh, maybe... Um, one of the points that you've made earlier, I'd like to get a little more concrete evidence. So now we've heard about the CEO action in which CEOs can take uh, a real stand. They can match words with action. Can you give an illustration of where you've seen some real nice strides in this regard? Absolutely. So I think if, like, for much of my career, we've been talking about diversity and inclusion. Obviously, it's it's never where I would like it to be. I yeah. have a <laughs> a college age daughter, and I always tell her I hope it's you know it, it continues to get a lot better when she's working. But um, but to me, I think we've talked a lot over my career about the issue versus actions, and mm. and for a lot of female leaders, that's been frustrating because you can continue to discuss the issues. The great thing about CEO action is that it's been very focused on what our company is going to do about it. So the the pledge involves three things. It involves a commitment to running unconscious bias training in your organization, which to me is extremely important. 
um, to to being willing to have open and honest dialogue about diversity and inclusion in your organization. I'll give you an example of, of that in just a minute. And then three is to be willing to share publicly three examples of what you're doing in your own organization that are either working or not working so that others can see. Mm-hmm. And to me, it gets to the what do you do about it issue and what are the small or large things you can do in an organization. The, the second issue has been really interesting about this being willing to have the conversation I really believe that our companies in many ways, at a time when there's a lot of difficult conversation across the country, people come to work and they want to feel like they're in a safe place where they're with people that they understand and they are with values that they identify with. And so um, we hosted – we've been hosting – we've had a couple of of times where we've hosted sessions across the company where we've had – We've encouraged a totally open dialogue. So, and they've been around the issue of race in America. Mm. And um, the first time we did it was a couple of years ago now, and it was after there were a series of um, police shootings across the country. Mm-hmm. And we knew as a leadership team that we had to give our people the opportunity to talk about how they were feeling. Wherever you stood on the issue, mm-hmm. people wanted to talk. And mm-hmm. so they all came into the office on one day. All of our teams that didn't all come into the office, some of them were at clients. And just had an open conversation where you listened to everybody else's point of view. And what was fascinating was we all just left with an appreciation in particular of how difficult it was. For example, if you were an African-American person in America, some of the challenges that you and your family were facing that people like me would never have been aware of. Mm -hmm. And it raised the awareness and the compassion in our organization. It fundamentally changed our culture in terms of who we are. And so to me, those are, those are not easy actions at all, but they're a way you change your culture mm-hmm. for the better for, forever, actually. So good. Well, I can't resist, and this is self-interested here, but I would love to hear you talk about the un- unconscious bias piece. And the reason I ask you that is that at Penn and Wharton, we've made a real effort to incorporate uh, awareness of unconscious bias in the curriculum. And I've found that challenging to do. So I'm really open to any sorts of wisdom suggestions that you might have from your experience, Amity. It's so, so first of all, congratulations on doing that. It's interesting. As I said, I have a college age daughter and she's also had it in school. And what I, first of all, what I think is remarkable is that these students will enter companies like PwC and they will already have had that. And yeah. how amazing is that? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's really a great starting <laughs> yes. point in all honesty. Um, look, I think that we, you know, we all, we all suffer from what we don't know, right? Mm-hmm. We all suffer from, you know, as, as you, as you, I'll give an example of many years ago uh, when I was living in Switzerland, I worked on a series of deals for one of my clients who was a fantastic mentor of mine and it was in the consumer markets industry. So we would go into all these countries and we would do due diligence on the businesses they were buying. And invariably, we would come back and he would assemble this enormous sort of group of people that brought every perspective imaginable. I mean, they were people who would talk about the recipes of the products, who would talk about were they marketed in stores or in carts on the street, right? Mm-hmm. What did the consumer – I mean, when I talk about diversity of perspective, it was in ways I as a financial person had never thought of it. And it really taught me the enormous value of when we talk about diversity of perspective, what we really mean. It's that it's – that Everyone around the table sees a different point of view, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it, it educates all of us. And to me, what what the unconscious bias training really does is it raises for you 
what you're not aware of. Right. And the, the earlier mm-hmm. in your career and in mm-hmm. your education you can become aware of it, the better off you are. Right. To me, yeah. uh, hopefully they will enter the workforce with that top of mind and it will inform their entire career in terms of the teams they're building, the people mm-hmm. they're mentoring, the mentors they're looking for <laughs> and how they're considering other points of view. Many of us didn't have that until well into our careers. Yeah. So how's that done at PwC? It's it's actually been you – know, we always have more work to do. I'm, I'm yeah. not going to say that we're ever done and we'll mm-hmm. never be done. Um, but it has been a tremendously important part of our culture mm-hmm. to to raise the expectation that people have the training, that, right. that everyone who joins our firm mm-hmm. actually has that training, even better if they've had it before they come to us. Yeah. Because we really want it to be embedded in – who they are and how they think about their teams. Very good. Jeff? <laughs> uh, I'm going to pick up a, a related piece of this, and it's related to this notion of, of CEO action. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the conversations that we have here pretty frequently uh, at Wharton is about the role that business plays in society mm-hmm. and, and the role specifically that, that CEOs can play within the communities, not only that they're a part of, but adjacent to and interacting with. Um, and and how have you how have you and how has PwC seen the role of the CEO evolve um, in in these last five or ten years? Um, is there more of an interest in in affecting the public discourse and taking actions consistent with values? Um, What's changing? It's it's a great question, and I think more, look, we're a people business, so yeah. it's especially important to us yeah. because the reason people join us is because they 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 see their values reflected in the organization, and mm-hmm. I think that is top of mind for the kind of talent we want to recruit and keep. Um, they want to understand what actions are we taking around diversity and inclusion. For mm-hmm. sure, I think that is a deciding factor in in who they go to in terms of what companies they join, but also whether they stay and see that they have a career path. Um, I think the other thing that we're finding is – and it's a, a different direction than diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. but it's around um, upskilling our workforce. So, mm-hmm. so we see a huge increase in the expectation um, of our clients, of all of our stakeholders – around the fact that we should have a position on the things that matter to us. Mm-hmm. One of them has been diversity and inclusion hugely and more recently is around um, digitally upskilling the workforce. So mm-hmm. as, as we, it's funny as everybody talks about digital transformation, right? right. Every company I go to talks about digital transformation and we do too. We are, we are far along our own digital transformation journey. But one of the things we realized early on is that if we're going to digitally transform ourselves, and remember we have about 50,000 people in the U.S., about mm-hmm. 250,000 globally, we could never hire enough STEM people, technologists, mm-hmm. to fuel our growth. There was no way. <laughs> so so what we needed to do to fuel our own growth but also what we wanted to do to have a positive impact on our communities is to digitally upscale our entire workforce. So we made a commitment to 50,000 people across the U.S. that we will digitally upscale everyone in our workforce, that we will not leave anybody behind as long as they're with us on the journey. Mm-hmm. And we're in about our second year of that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been amazing because it's a great opportunity. Again, a lot of it is just coming down to how are we investing in our people yeah. to make mm-hmm. them better, right. whether they stay with us or they, or they leave. We want everybody to be better professionals. And whether it's unconscious bias mm-hmm. training and increased mm-hmm. awareness of the importance of diversity mm-hmm. inclusion, whether it's being more digitally fit and, and open to, to digital and willing to learn and grow mm-hmm. in that area. Mm-hmm. 
it makes us better. It makes our entire communities better. Mm-hmm. And, Similar. Oh, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, we're coming up on a short break okay. in just a minute. But I, if I may, Amity, you're also an author. You, you write for Forbes. And you've written about the fourth industrial revolution. And I feel as though we're sort of touching on that now. Um, so could you talk a little bit about the fourth industrial revolution just for a moment before we take a break? Yeah, look, I think every every organization I go to is looking at how technology is transforming their customer experience, their employee experience, and their front and back office. And I think it's enormously exciting. I think it's one of those areas where um, I don't know if you know this. The average age in PwC is 27. Oh, it's I where I that. learn the most from our from our teams, <laughs> right? Because I think as we look at the potential for di- digital disruption and for how we're all going to do our jobs differently, mm-hmm. how we're going to use technology to make great productivity gains, a better customer experience, we can learn. And mm-hmm. I think I always say to my daughter, you, you will have an opportunity to lead at a much younger age because you're going to bring digital skills to your organization that others who are senior leaders don't have, and that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I think and one of the things I write about a lot is the importance of of using technology and digital to really drive better experiences, but also not losing sight of the humanity piece right. and kind of bringing together that IQ and EQ because I think <laughs> they, they have to exist together. I think yeah. one doesn't replace the other. In fact, one, I think technology makes the humanity piece of it even more important. Amity, I have to say, I think your English major is showing. There you go. <laughs> In more than yes. one way, you've got the human touch plus the digital and asking people to be literate yes. in, in a variety of ways. Well, we're going to take a short break. I'm Anne Greenhall. I'm here with Jeff Klein. And tonight we have the pleasure of speaking with Amity Milheiser of PwC. This is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Channel 132. We will be right back. You're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Mike Yuseem, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Welcome back to Leadership in Action on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Channel 132. I'm Anne Greenhall, and tonight I am with my dear colleague and co-host, Jeff Klein. Mike Yuseem is off for the night. Together, Jeff and I have the chance to speak with Amity Milheiser, who is Vice Chair and Chief Clients Officer at PwC. Before the break, we were talking about the Fourth Industrial Revolution. So, Amity, let's let's pick up there, and maybe if you could say just a little bit more about that to make it come alive and be concrete for our for our listeners. Absolutely, and as I said, it's it's one of the themes that no matter what the industry is that I go and, and talk to clients, this is something that's top of mind. So. I think it's fascinating. We all hear the the idea of digital transformation Mm -hmm. and how technology is really transforming our organizations. It's changing the consumer, which is great. It's creating a much more global consumer model. It's changing our workforces Mm -hmm. in terms of our access to talent um, using technology. And we're not nearly as constrained as we used to be in terms of the types of talent we need where where they sit in the world. Um, In terms of how it's changing what we do in our organizations, how our back offices function, how we use different technologies to be more productive and efficient. Uh, But the one thing I hear over and over again is, is like so many things, technology and digital is sort of a scary topic to a lot of people. It feels, 
it, especially with senior leaders who haven't grown up around it, it feels inaccessible. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a real mistake because mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a huge opportunity for us to really rethink our organizations and look forward. Um, so that there's there's sort of three things that I I ask executives to really focus on within their organizations. The the first of them is, and I, I call them the three R's. The first <laughs> is is reinvesting, and mm-hmm. and and it's really thinking about how you want to invest in two elements of your digital transformation, both the technology itself, which seems fairly straightforward. Um, what new technologies are you going to put in place, whether it's um, whether it's cloud computing, whether it's different software, yeah. hardware, mm-hmm. artificial intelligence. But, but not stopping there, it's also reinvesting in your people. So we right. talked a little bit about sort of this digital upskilling. To me, a huge responsibility when we start investing in technology to make our businesses better is how are we going to make that same investment in our people so that they are upskilled at the same time. Not everybody's going to progress at the same level. Not everybody's going to have the same level of interest. You're going to have some who, who we call it Peter. WC digital accelerators who are super excited and the first people to do anything. And you're going to have other people who simply want to move with the organization. But the important part is to reinvest in your whole organization, frankly, take investment that you might normally have put elsewhere in a more traditional part of your business and understand in in a world of limited funds, you're going to have to reinvest it in your people and technology. And to us, um, that's been an enormously successful recipe for Mm -hmm for really improving our overall organization, improving our people experience, our client experience, but also feel like we're giving back to society in a way that we're creating more digital-ready workforce. Um, the second thing is I, I call – so so one is reinvesting. The second is refreshing. And refreshing is really being willing to take a fresh look at how you do things in an organization and think differently about your processes. So we're all guilty of doing things the way that we've seen them done throughout right. our whole careers. Mm-hmm. And the important important thing is to really be willing to start with a blank sheet of paper on are there ways to look at how you how you do business using artificial intelligence using technologies in fundamentally new and what i would say is exciting ways um, it's fascinating to me when i look at some of the technologies that, again, our average age is 27, that some of our people come up with ideas for how we can mm-hmm. do client work differently, for how we can interact with our clients differently, for how we can use visualization tools and artificial intelligence. It's really exciting. It's exciting for them. It's exciting for us. So being willing to sort of take a fresh look at how you've always done things and really start fresh, build on what you have, but use technology and the skills your people are gaining. I think it's important. And then the third thing, so one is reinvest, the second is refresh, and the third is reflect. So reflecting <laughs> comes back to your question, Jeff, about listening to your to your clients and your stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So the risk being any leader is that you think you know how you want things to look. Everybody yeah. tells you that's how they look. But when you really go up and down your organization or go out and talk to clients – what you thought was happening isn't always going to happen, right? And you have to be willing to take the feedback, course correct, and do things differently. And to me, that means providing a good user experience. And a good user experience, I think a lot of times we think about it as the customer experience, which I do. Are our customers experiencing us in a different digital way? Do they see our people more digitally enabled? Do they see the benefits of technology? But also do our own people see it as a positive experience? Did they want to come and work for PwC because they see the investments we're making and it's changing how they're working? And I think being willing to constantly step back, ask for that feedback, 
and respond to it and making sure that that's the tone of your organization. If we're driving a large-scale digital transformation, it needs tone at the top. That's really important. It needs an ROI. That's really important. But most importantly, you need that cultural piece that brings your entire organization (laughs) with you. And you only can take your whole organization with you if you're asking for that feedback. And if you know what's really happening up and down your organization in terms of what parts of your transformation are taking hold and, frankly, which pieces are falling flat and why and how do you and your team change that experience. That's great. Jeff, you want to follow up with that? <laughs> sure. Yeah, happy to. Um, I was uh, I was inspired when when I looked at your your Forbes blog and and saw that your description of it was writing about human connection in a digital world. And so so I wonder as as we think about things like digital transformation and a fourth industrial revolution. And you know, I um, a few weeks ago I was in China and I heard both both our dean, Jeff Garrett, as well as uh, Vijay Kumar, who's the dean of the engineering school, both give talks on the changing nature of work. Um, and we know that jobs are changing. We know that technology is impacting the way that that people work and the way that organizations work with their customers. Um, how is the nature of human connection? My, this is a big question. Yeah, this is, this is a big question. I'll just say that out loud. But I mean, how do, how do you experience the nature of human connection in a changing world? Mm. Um, and where are the places where you can point to and say, yeah, it it, it will remain important here? It's it's a great. I mean, mm. it's the great debate right now. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Is and I think there's a lot of fear about it, and yet. I actually think it's a terrific time to be asking that question. So it's interesting. I look at technology as enabling but also requiring more mm-hmm. human connection. So on the one hand, technology gives people the the time free from tasks that I did when I first joined the firm that are, were not particularly interesting, that were routine tasks. Mm-hmm. And if you can use technology, you don't have to spend as much time on the boring work, but also you have a high – like the accuracy is better, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And what that does to me is that frees up time for people to be doing more interesting work, to be doing the types of analysis, mm-hmm. to be doing the types of research, mm-hmm. to be really doing things that they can base upon the data, but they don't have to spend as much time doing the actual routine work that isn't interesting. So on the one hand, I think technology – has the ability to free up time Mm -hmm. for us to do um, the types of work that we really enjoy doing. But the the other thing is that with the advent of technology, I think the human-to-human connection becomes more important, right? I think that um, it really – the, the risk is that people rely on technology. They rely on social media. They rely on emails. They rely on you know, never picking up the phone and calling somebody or never getting in front of somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more important than ever to have both. So if you look at things like – and some things never change. It requires <laughs> that human-to-human contact. The reason people – come and work for you, the reason people want to be on your team, the reason customers want to continue working for you is because they feel that engagement and that connection at a certain mm-hmm. level. And to me, it's it's evident in our organization in things like coaching, right? Coaching is something that is still based <laughs> very much on being willing to give someone feedback, to being willing to listen, to being able to come up with like tailored recommendations for what they can change. Think about a lot of the ethical issues that require yeah. judgment, right? Mm-hmm. That really requires the benefit of experience and having seen things before and understanding the downside risks. And I don't think those are things that get replaced by technology. I think technology can help. But I think that 
empathetic human connection is more important today than ever before. The third area I always give because I lived abroad for so long is understanding how different cultures yeah. work, yeah. right? right. The, to to yeah. my knowledge, right. I, mm-hmm. all the translation software out there, mm-hmm. you still don't understand it. I, I live in, in Silicon Valley. When I ran our practice, our, our office in, in San Jose is the most diverse practice we have across the country. So understanding the types of backgrounds that mm-hmm. everybody come from, their family environments, what they were used to growing up in was hugely important to being able to connect with them and build a team. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't something that you could learn from technology. You had to have traveled to those places or lived in those places and really been curious about you know, what their backgrounds are. Very good. I'm going to jump in and remind listeners that you are listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Channel 132. I'm Anne Greenhall here with Jeff Klein, and together we are speaking with Amity Milheiser, Vice Chair and Chief Clients Officer at PwC. All right, Amity, I have a follow-up question. I realize this is maybe a little bit out of the range of your usual expertise, but I can't resist. 27 years old is the average age of PwC workers. Um, Jeff and I interviewed a wonderful person out in California, Jennifer Deal, who's written a lot about generations and workforces. And she said of the young people in the workforce that there's a lot that's in common with older generations, but that three things distinguish the young people coming in. Technology. She also, she, I'm smiling because she calls it, she refers to tattoos. In other words, a willingness to tattoo your body and be an illustrated person. And then she's got um, another T, which she calls temperance. And by that, she that she is really referring to um, grit or the need for a little more grit. So if we just focus on the new generation coming in, how do you coach that human touch in addition to the technology and the tattoos and the <laughs> temperance. How do you uh, coach that? I, I thought you were going to ask if tattoos build grit. <laughs> they might. If that, that, they might. They're actually they connected, might. They're right? Connected. You send them from multiple tattoos, <laughs> <Right>. they come back. <laughs> They've got grit. Sorry. Oh, that's funny. That's really <laughs> funny. Um, look, I, I think the, the, the piece about technology plus humanity, it's, it's interesting. My, my greatest wish would be that um, – that the, the the people we're bringing up now and coming through your school, for example, have a combination of both technology skills plus communication skills. Yeah. That you have that combination of technology and humanity alongside rather than you have to go one way or the other. Because right. to me, it's that combination that's magical mm-hmm. today is that people who are outstanding communicators and coaches and have really strong EQ together with people who have really mm-hmm. strong digital skills – the the ability to build those side by side over a career is magnificent right. and the right. types of experiences you can have combining both is fantastic i think it's a mistake to think that it's either one or the mm-hmm. other especially mm-hmm. going forward and 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 i and i really believe it's important as as an organization that we mentor and coach people to develop both mm-hmm. right and, and part of the the eq piece is if you go back to being 
I, I think that the generations we're hiring are very open to different work models mm-hmm. and to very, very diverse workforces. In fact, I think they want the opportunity to work all over the year. They want all over the world. Mm-hmm. They want the opportunity to be surrounded by incredibly diverse colleagues, right? Mm-hmm. And I think all of that is part of building your EQ and your openness to different cultures, different languages, different ways of doing business. Yeah, very good. So it's a, it's what I'm hearing you say, Amity, it's a matter of bringing in the talent and then, as you've said earlier, also count, you know, cultivating the talent that you have, investing in your people, both by making them more digitally savvy, but also coaching them on the on the uh, humanity. Right. And that a lot of that is 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 what they see in a mentor. Right. Mm-hmm. So much mm-hmm. of that. Um, they see in the people that they work around and the team leaders that they're with. And I always say to people, when you're interviewing, that connection is important. When you're building teams, that connection mm-hmm. is important. When you're giving feedback. And more than anything, I think we all respond to having seen po- positive and unfortunately sometimes negative examples of that over our careers. Both are instructive, yeah. right? But that makes us into better people as mm-hmm. well. Jeff, you want to pick up on that? Mentoring is one of your <laughs> favorite topics. Absolutely. Um, I, I'd be curious, you know, to ask you kind of a more personal and reflective question. Um, and because Anne prompted me on mentoring, I'll, I'll even slip a mentoring frame oh, into the question at the same time. But I, I think about, um, you know, your comment from a couple minutes ago, which was when you, um, you know, you'd been in Switzerland for 17 years. Uh, you come back, you're in Silicon Valley leading the practice there. Um, and, and you've, I, I can't even think about how I describe there, there are a number of cultural boundaries that you have now crossed. Sure. Right. And mm-hmm. so how did you come in with the curiosity that you were talking about before to learn a new culture in Silicon Valley? And, and what role did your mentors play um, as you were making that transition? And look, I have been incredibly fortunate to have mentors who were able to see what could come. So when I lived in Switzerland, I was actually the first female partner we had there. And not to mention the first young female American. I mean, Adam right. and I was right. very, very lucky. And I would say that at this time to have two leaders at that time who had not grown up in firms like that, mm-hmm. but were visionary enough to really mm-hmm. sponsor me and see that I was successful. I do That's remember great. one of them saying to me when I became partner, your job is to make sure that you're not the only one for very much longer. And I've always thought about that. That is my job. Yeah. My job is to make sure that I leave many more mm-hmm. with the same opportunity behind me. Um, so I think those mentors are important. I think being in an organization that allows you to make those shifts, right? So, you know, I always mm-hmm. say, I was an English literature major that went to work for, you know, a consult accounting firm effectively mm-hmm. at that time. Um, I was an American female who became the first partner. I moved to Silicon Valley knowing nothing about technology. <laughs> and being in a firm that allows you to make those pivots and is willing to invest in you, is willing to really encourage others to coach you and make other like I had a ton of people in Switzerland who for many many years sat at meetings with me and translated things and explained to me you know this is what it says in German this is what it means in English and and to be in a company that really encourages that kind of coaching and spending time mm-hmm. to make one another better is really rare and extremely important. And to me, that's really what mentorship is. It's it's creating a culture where you come in and you care as much about how the person sitting next to you is doing as yourself, and you're encouraged to spend the time to make them better because that will make you better mm-hmm. and the whole organization better. Mm. And, 
and I, I wonder, as as you've now been in Silicon Valley, how are you experiencing change and, and the rate of change in Silicon Valley? How is how is the culture uh, there changing? How is technology influencing it? It's so I, I think the one thing when you when you when I, sort of when I land and we all talk about this is the <laughs> speed of change in the valley is yeah. extraordinary. And I constantly believe that, you know, none of us are moving fast enough when I look at the speed of change of technology there. And mm-hmm. I were the the further I get away from that from that zip code, the less I am appreciating that change and I go home and I realize how quickly everything's moving. So I just think we live in a time and this is part of the theme around the fourth industrial revolution that change is happening so quickly. Mm-hmm. Each of our organizations and each of us individually cannot afford to wait. We need to be moving quickly. We need to be adopting technology faster. We don't have the time we did before. The world, the consumer and all of our stakeholders, our employees are, are asking us to move faster, especially as we implement technology. Well, and, and that's kind of fascinating, right? And I, I, I'm thinking back, um, you know, in the first part of the show when we were talking about the CEO action mm-hmm. um, efforts and, and one of the things you were asking organizations to do were to talk about the actions they were taking, successes and failures. Um, it seems to me that when we're talking about the rate of change that we are talking about that um, – the failures are going to be a little more public. They're going to be a little more evident. And so, I mean, how do you talk with clients about both how to learn from failure but also how to accept it within a world that, you know, has has more – Publicity and accessibility and everything else for consumers. Right. No, and I, it's funny. We all talk mm-hmm. about you know how everybody should seek out failure. I don't know that anybody really seeks out failure. I would say that is probably not the goal. But to seek out sure. those those lessons learned and <laughs> being willing to create a culture that says we're going to try new things. Right. Sometimes they're not going to work and we're going to acknowledge them and course correct and do something different as quickly as we can. I think that the generations joining us are much more used to that. They've mm-hmm. seen different types of, of technology over time. And I think creating a culture that says we're going to be accepting of that and understanding that there are there are also parts of your business where that will not be acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. So you may have a highly regulated business where that's not acceptable or, you know, businesses where, you know, life and death is involved. I mean, you have to determine which parts of your business you're going to tolerate that. But I think creating a culture where people are encouraged to contribute new ideas, but then that you call out, again, back to user experience, what's working, what's not working, and are willing to course correct quickly is a, is a terrific quality in an organization. So, Amity, how, how do you keep up or how would you advise uh, organizational leaders to keep up in a digital world? So it's interesting. I, I think part of it is is just that natural curiosity. You have mm-hmm. to develop a curiosity. You can't put up a barrier between mm-hmm. yourself and, let's say, technology mm-hmm. and say, you know, I'm the person who's never going to understand that. And mm-hmm. I think part of our Growth of our mindset. digital upskilling <laughs> has been really making sure that everybody has that. And then I think people learn differently. Um, we've actually we've actually done a couple things which have been very interesting. One is we rolled out something across PwC called the Digital Fitness App where everybody <laughs> went great. online um, took a ten minute about a ten minute course on your digital skills, got a score. No matter if you lived in Silicon Valley or not, everybody 
thought that they should have done better. (laughs) But it also points you to like 600 different learning tools to make it better. So Mm -hmm. whether they're webcasts, Mm -hmm. um, podcasts, Mm -hmm. reading articles, whatever whatever way you learn Mm -hmm. to learn more about artificial intelligence, Mm -hmm. to learn more about, you know, any any area you want, I think is better. Um, I think the second thing we've also introduced is sort of a personal training program around digital training where we've taken, you know, where where leaders like myself have coaches who are much more, um, I would say, digitally skilled than we are who are actually reverse mentors to us. And that's worked really well in terms of hands-on. In some cases, it can be your kids. Um, They can show you how to use technology differently. But just creating that sort of, as you said, growth mindset Mm -hmm. and being willing to learn and understand that that's an area where a lot of us have a lot to learn. You are listening to Leadership Action on Business Radio powered by the Wharton School, Channel 132. I'm Ann Greenhall. I'm with Jeff Klein. And tonight, we have the real pleasure of speaking with Amity Milheiser. And she is the Vice Chair and Chief Client's officer at PwC. We've talked about uh, becoming more digitally savvy. We've talked about gender in the workplace. How about age, especially when it comes to uh, the digital revolution? Just have you found that that's an issue for companies as well? How do we incorporate, uh, for example, my husband works in a tech company, which actually has a lot of senior leadership, which is unusual, but they have so much uh, institutional knowledge that they're actually quite indispensable in in an area in which mostly young people work. So I don't know if you have some reflections on age and the digital revolution. You raise a really interesting issue because I think a lot of times when we talk about diversity, we focus on gender. We mm-hmm. focus on race. We've been a lot less focused on that. And and, mm-hmm. and to me, it goes both ways. I think you need a combination mm-hmm. in organizations of both, of those who have business experience, um, who, you know, when you, we talk about things like um, making difficult judgment calls or coaching, difficult coaching conversations who have a lot of experience with that, you know, di- difficult client situations, mm-hmm. right? Together with some of the younger generations who are going to bring um, digital skills like never before. And to me, it's the very basis of of, uh, of what we talk about around diversity around the table is do you have multiple generations there? Are they mm-hmm. representing multiple points of view? Because Again, assuming that, you know, again, I look at the average age of our workforce. How do we make sure that we that point of view is included in our conversations? And you have to get that balance right. Yeah, very good. You know, Amity, we usually do uh, an after-action review after our shows, and I'm looking to Jeff here, and I'm thinking, why don't we do that with Amity and ask her to join us in a little after-action review? So we have just about uh, four minutes, um, and when you think back on our conversation, Jeff, I'll start with you. What stands out from our conversation tonight with Amity Milheiser of PwC? Well, it's been a, a wide rating, wide-ranging conversation, um, and you know, clearly we, we've talked technology and the impacts to the workforce, the impacts yeah. to consumers, um, but we've really ranged all around. <laughs> yeah. and, and something I'm going to go home thinking about, um, which is a little bit of a new frame for me, uh, is is this notion of looking for organizations, not only that invest in people, right? I, I think that that's um, that's a truism across generations, but also that is providing, looking for organizations that provide the kind of exposure that will feed curiosity and feed intellectual growth. Uh, and that's I, great. And I feel like, you know, for, for anyone 
who is considering a change, considering the next step in their career. Right. Um, it, it's an extra lens that I, I find to be really appealing and important. Very good. Emily, how about you? When you think back on our conversation, what stands out as something you'd like to highlight for our listeners? You know, I think it's I just think this concept of diversity of perspective, every perspective, Mm -hmm. making sure that in the proverbial table, wherever you sit, you bring the digital perspective, you bring diverse genders, race, different perspectives, because Mm -hmm. with the world moving at the speed it's moving, Mm -hmm. you have to get all those voices at the table at the same time to really look at the future of the consumer. I think. And that's really the opportunity and a challenge to us all as we build our teams. That's so great. Uh, Jeff will smile here, but uh, you give me great heart and reassurance on the blending of the digital and the humanities. And it's something that I think that we do in educational institutions, but we could do even better in that we we tend to set up uh, barriers. You know, you go over across the street to Bennett Hall to learn about the humanities. You might learn about some technology here or in engineering. But actually, it's happening in both places, and I think we need to celebrate uh, those those intersections. So let me. I all... thought you were going to say tattoos. <laughs> no, Jeff. <laughs> Technology. <laughs> but I agree with you that blending yeah, the is blending. the huge opportunity, and what makes it so interesting and rich exactly. is bringing together both. Right, not one or the other, but really both. So, Amity, can you let our listeners know how they can find out more about PwC? Yes, absolutely. So you can go on to pwc.com, and everything is there. We also have a Twitter handle. Um, LinkedIn, as well as our own website. So any any way you want to go. <laughs> Very good. Well, Jeff and I, right, both of us, we really want to thank you so much, Amity, for coming and joining us and having this uh, conversation this evening. Thank you both. It's been a real pleasure. Appreciate it. Very good. All right. So thank you all. Thank you so much for joining us on Leadership in Action. If you have a question about something you heard on today's show, you can email us at bizradio at SiriusXM.com. And you can be sure to follow our show on Twitter at bizradio132. Once again, I want to give a very, very special thank to Amity Milheiser. And as we said at the very top, she is the vice chair and chief clients officer at PwC, a global firm that offers professional services, including audit and assurance, tax planning and consulting. So a thank you again to Amity. We also want to be sure to thank our producer, Patty Hall, and our sound engineer, Danielle Bruno. I'm Ann Greenhall, and you are... I'm Jeff Klein. And together, I'm here all night. without Mike Usain, but yeah. nonetheless, together, we are Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Join us next week. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 